My name is Phaedra Aldridge. Welcome to Look Again, Mental Illness Reexamined, a podcast brought to you by the BC Schizophrenia Society, otherwise known as BCSS, as well as our BC partner organizations. There's a common misconception that serious mental illnesses like schizophrenia and bipolar disorder are rare. But in truth, we can all think of loved ones, friends, or colleagues who are dealing with it. Mental illness touches all of our lives, whether or not we choose to acknowledge it, and it touches all of our lives, whether or not it is being diagnosed. But the problem with thinking that mental illness is rare and only happens to those people out there is that the symptoms are dismissed and people are not being seen. And this can leave people very vulnerable and in dire straits. On this episode of Look Again, we ask, why do we persist in thinking that mental illness is a rare occurrence? And what happens when we start actually seeing people for who they are? My guest today is Dr. Bill McEwen, and I really can't think of a doctor in a better position to speak firsthand about the sheer prevalence of mental illness within our society. We're also going to talk about how mental illnesses can be covered up by complex concurrent disorders. Bill runs the Urban Psychiatry Program at St. Paul's Hospital in Vancouver, British Columbia. He's the medical lead for the downtown community court psychiatric teams and he's a clinical professor at UBC Psychiatry. Dr. McEwen has extensive knowledge about drug addiction and mental illnesses, and he's seen firsthand the mental illness in the downtown east side of Vancouver, where he has worked for almost 20 years. In fact, Dr. McEwen can quite often be seen walking the streets of the downtown east side in order to better connect with his patients. Dr. Bill McEwen, welcome to Look Again. Hi, Phaedra. Thanks very much. Happy to be here. For those of us listening from outside of Vancouver and may not be familiar with the term downtown east side, please tell us about it. Maybe take us on a little bit of an auditory tour of what we may see if we were walking through those streets. So it's it's a, uh, a concentrated area in Vancouver, and it happens to be along East and West Hastings, which is sort of the old commercial gateway into Vancouver in the old days. But again, I just stress that every city has got something like this. Ours just happens to be very significant in terms of size, um, and it's got about 20,000 people living in it. Um, it's got uh, a lot of traffic coming uh, through it, and it's highly visible, which I think is both a cursing and a blessing uh, in terms of how I, we can understand this population. So, Bill, earlier we talked about the myths surrounding serious mental illness and the fact that it happens somewhere out there. It doesn't happen to me. It happens to other people. What do you think the connection is between that way of thinking and the stigma connected to that? Oh, I I think that connection is very significant. I think there's two elements to it. One is the aspect of it's never going to be me and that kind of thing. And the difficulty it presents for people who are seeing something odd and and worrisome, but don't know how to deal with it. And so in the past, what would you do? You go see your family doctor, you go see a psychiatrist, all that kind of stuff, which has become increasingly complex and and, uh, I think probably a higher level of uh, intervention that we need. So uh, the stigma, I think, is partially because it's like, oh, this is really overwhelming. I don't really know what to do with it. And I don't really want the answer because the reality is in a young age group, depression and anxiety are going to be more common. And there is an overlay of how a person will look with psychosis. The other part is that, um, oh, it's just drugs. 
And we, with all the stimulants now uh, that are being used highly, um, they, uh, you can have drug-induced psychosis. And so part of the difficulty you may see is that the aspect of somebody will come to uh, an emergency, for instance, and they say, oh, well, this person's smoking marijuana, they're doing cocaine, they have psychosis. That means they're just a drug problem and they need to stop their drugs. And so it's on the level of the professionals as well are passing this off. And it's like, well, come on, guys, just think of this. It doesn't mean you have to be doing anything hugely dramatic other than saying, hmm, we should treat you and we should get you followed. So let's talk about this downtown east side. And before we talked about the myth that serious mental illness such as schizophrenia are rare. Now, based on your clinical experience and what you see on a day-to-day basis, what are your thoughts on this? In a place like this where poverty and homelessness and uh, people who've been through a lot of trauma are clustered together, I'll get a skewed sample, but you'll see a very significant population who are clearly suffering. And the suffering can be seen in in, uh, terms of drug use and them self-treating symptoms that they want to get rid of, for instance, depression. It can be seen in terms of disabilities, physical, very clearly, a lot of people having uh, inability to walk properly because of uh, physical uh, illnesses. And then you can see a lot of aberrant behaviors uh, where people are having marked difficulties with agitation, screaming, yelling, running, um, and often battling demons that we don't see and and, uh, marauders that we're not aware of. And they're clearly psychotic. And the question always is, what's causing this? Is it because they're having uh, difficulties with a psychiatric illness? Is it because they're having some difficulties with drugs? Or is it both? And what are your thoughts on that? Back in the, the, in the 80s, we didn't see this kind of level of drug use that was feeding things. And so then you got a much clearer a picture of a person's uh, progression towards an illness, such as schizophrenia or bipolar disorder. And uh, you had a very uh, relatively clear path in terms of things, the steps we needed to take. Since the late uh, 20th century and through now the, the first 20 years of the 20th century, the amount of drug use has exploded. And in BC, the use of cocaine and crack cocaine was growing through the 90s, but it was still limited relatively. But now uh, cocaine, crack cocaine, methamphetamine, other stimulants uh, have been very prominent. Um, and it sort of waxes and wanes in terms of prominence. It's either the number one or two drug or the number three or four drug, uh, along with the, now the opioids. And so that combination of external variables such as drugs that come in and confuse the picture really makes this um, a very interesting area to work in. How many people in the downtown east side are struggling with serious mental illness? Of the 20,000 people in the downtown east side, uh, they're talking about 9,000 harmed drug users. And when we break that down according to what are the harms and how many people are getting served, uh, Dr. Honer and his team found that you're seeing about 4,500 people living in the downtown east side who have a serious mental illness that is untreated. Other factors that help affirm that is um, when the uh, Vancouver Coastal then did the downtown east side 2.0, which is virtually a rebooting of what services do we offer and how do we sort of offer them. They found there were 7,200 people in the downtown east side who did not have any form of primary care. And so you've got a whole group of people who are having difficulties. And why are they not seeing primary care? It's not because there's not outreach. It's not because there's not clinics. It's often because people are too disorganized or too ill or, or too disabled to be able to get to them. And so our numbers are in you know, the 25% mark quite conservatively. So what do you think has changed, Bill, since 2008? Or really, has there been any changes since that time? Oh, there's been lots of, yeah, there's been both positive and unfortunately negative changes. Uh, Focus on some of the positive things. There has been attempts to try and really focus uh, approaches and teams uh, in the downtown side around 
How do we deal with all these things, the psychosis, the housing, the drug problems? The, the negative is that it's, it, uh, it's not nearly catching up with the, the difficulties that are going on now. I mean, and I won't belabor the, the opioid crisis, but it's a really good example of how things in society are changing much more rapidly than we can either anticipate or plan for or implement new treatments for. And so it's gotten much worse in that sense. And the other aspect is, uh, unfortunately, there used to be a little bit of an invisible barrier that nobody was allowed to come down to the downtown side who's uh, under the age of 20. And that's all changed now. The level of homelessness uh, has increased. And that's, along with that, there's a lot of young people. And so when those young people are down there now, the SROs and the nonprofit housing sites would always say, no, no, you're under 20, you can't live here. But they're living there now anyways. And so that's been a real variable. And so the, the overall outcome is it's much worse. You're listening to Look Again, Mental Illness Reexamined, a podcast brought to you by the BC Schizophrenia Society and BC Partner Organizations. I'm your host, Phaedra Aldridge. This podcast would not be possible without the support of the entire community. From the bottom of our hearts, we want to thank you for caring about mental illness. Together, we truly can make a difference. And we're back with Dr. Bill McEwen, head of the Urban Psychiatry Program at St. Paul's Hospital and the medical lead for the Downtown Community Court Psychiatric Teams. Now, Bill, before we get started again, I want you to listen to something with me. This is from one of the members of our family panel, which is made up of people who have loved ones with schizophrenia. We asked her to reflect on the misconception that schizophrenia is a rare disease and to talk about how she felt about her nephew's diagnosis. Let's take a listen now. For me, I understood a little bit about schizophrenia. And um, I think that part of uh, that knowledge is sort of helped me appreciate the attitudes that create the stigma because I, I knew too little. And then learning that it was one in a hundred, it really took me back a few steps as well because that just isn't rare. And I think also part of how we felt as a, as a family is that we just the expectation that something so serious, that's an illness that everybody knows is, is so serious, that there would be a more cohesive uh, response in the systems that sort of come, you know, talking about uh, this adversarial relationship between families and physicians when you have all this information that they don't seem to want. But also, I think the systems collide, you know, the healthcare authorities don't communicate well. And if you move from one health authority to another in order to find the resources that don't exist at home, then that creates a whole other landscape of, of challenges. You know, now my nephew's isolated from all his friends. Some of them were calling him a freak anyway, so maybe it was good to have a little distance there. But. You know, he came here and uh, it was a very shocking discovery that the, the services just aren't really um, adequate. There was a lot of information in that. So Bill, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. How, how can you address some of her comments about the lack of cohesion in services, especially when she was referring to the difficulties that occur when people move from one health authority to another? Is this something you hear a lot about? Let me take one step back. Uh, the lady in the clip, she's, she's right. She's totally spot on. And there's not a thing I would probably debate 
with what you say. So we can focus on a variety of levels. The health authorities is one perfect example where there is more communication happening between the health authorities, but it's still sadly lacking. And especially with, this is a perfect example again of how we plan to do things, but it doesn't keep up with the unseen or unknown changes that are occurring. And to go to the the issue of, uh, as a family member, uh, being locked out is very true. You're not given any kind of um, standing, as it were, in terms of the life of this individual. So when her nephew is being referred to in, in a, a nasty way by his friends, it's because they're, you're experiencing this odd kinds of behavior, this inability to relate. And so the ripple effect of that is huge. And so this is where families are so, if they're able to, they're so integral because sometimes the, you know, the family is seen to be only the demons, but so often it's a mix of things and they're the support networks and they're the ones that are trusted at some level. And the system would do so much better with families actively involved. Now, we mentioned earlier, Dr. McEwen, that you're also the medical lead for the psychiatric teams in Vancouver's downtown community court, and you referred earlier to your outside office. So how do these teams and this court help people with serious mental illness? This is, these are teams that were started back uh, about 11 years ago, and community court came from the Red Hook Community Court in, in uh, New York, which was the idea of taking people who have mental illness and, and drug addiction problems and diverting them away from the justice system and bringing them into the uh, drug treatment programs and mental health program uh, system. So virtually taking their charges and staying them, as we call it, dropping the charges if we can. Um, there's five teams, and I used to work all the teams, but now we have a couple of other psychiatrists working two of them. But you know, you're just taking people and they're coming in for minor crimes, you know, a misdemeanor of smashing a window or a minor assault because they got into a fight or the theft under is called for shoplifting. And, and they shouldn't be in jail and nobody wants them in jail. And so what you do is you identify them and as they're coming through into the, the, the court system and then divert them into the teams. The community court model, and again, it's, it, it's a beautiful court. It's really very cool how it's laid out. But you're, the whole idea is you're, you're arrested in the morning, you go to court in the afternoon, and then you you're move on. Um, the next day. And uh, that's what we're doing is taking people. And as soon as they come into, into the courts, we're being referred them. They have to agree, but the prosecution and the defense attorneys and the, and the judge, they're all on the same page. And so there's a lot of persuasion saying, come on, this will be good for you. And so we, and then we just start treating the team as a team. We try to treat the person with their illnesses and then move them on um, after that. It's a lot of fun. It's a really, really good job. Really enjoy it. Dr. McEwen, thank you so much for joining me today. I, um, I learned a lot. Well, thanks, Fedra. Very lovely to have this opportunity. Thanks for asking me. And for all our listeners, thank you so much for listening. We're going to be sure to post all of the relevant links from today's conversation on our website, www.bcss.org. Dr. Bill McEwen, thank you for everything you do, and thank you for joining us today. This podcast is brought to you by the BC Schizophrenia Society and the BC Partners for Mental Health and Substance Use Information. We're a group of nonprofit agencies providing good quality information to help individuals and families maintain or improve their mental well-being. The BC Partners members are Anxiety Canada, BC Schizophrenia Society, Canadian Institute for Substance Use Research, Canadian Mental Health Association's BC Division, Family Smart, Jesse's Legacy, the North Shore Family Services Program, and Mood Disorders Association of BC, a branch of Lookout Housing and Health Society. The BC Partners are funded and stewarded by BC Mental Health and Substance Use Services, an agency of the Provincial Health Services Authority. For more information, visit heretohelp.bc.ca.